T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, and liftoff. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Palmetto Guardian. I'm Sergeant Chelsea Weaver. And I'm Specialist Anna Grace Cato. And today we have a very special guest with us. I'm going to let him introduce himself and then we're just going to go into today's topic. Hello, my name is Staff Sergeant Sean Delaney Giesing. I'm currently a recruiter with the Lexington Storefront and I currently have assigned to me Chapin High School, Spring Hill High School, and then I collectively work the Center for Advanced Technical Studies in Chapin. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to come talk to us because I know recruiters like you guys are always all over the place. Um, one thing I want to mention is if you haven't noticed, um, Sergeant Delaney, he did some voiceovers for some of our videos. So maybe you've heard his voice before. That's This is the face to the voice. But um, we're glad that you're here today. So basically, let's kind of just jump right in. Let's talk. Let's start very basic. What is the processing for recruiting? Um, what are the requirements? Because, I mean, that's the only way that you can get in. Sure. I'm sure they've changed since we've all enlisted. So can you kind of just start there? So if someone is looking to join the military, and this is for the military in general, not just the National Guard, um, you would come in uh, by first. We usually set up an appointment with you. And you'd come to our office, and we would sit down. And part of that conversation is determining a couple of things. One of them is, are you medically qualified to join? Um, are you legally qualified to join? And what I mean by that is, do you have any potential law violations that could present an issue uh, for you enlisting? And then the other thing that we want to look at is your physical health. Are you in good physical condition? Um, we don't expect you to be an Olympic athlete, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, we want to make sure you are in decent physical health, um, that there uh, are not any underlying medical conditions that we need to uh, be concerned about, and um, you know, that you meet our height and weight standards. Um, every height has a certain weight or a certain uh, weight range that uh, people fall within, and uh, for us, uh, depending on your height, we have to make sure that you fall within that range uh, before you're able to enlist. Um, so that's just the, the basics. Um, continuing forward, if you meet all those requirements, everything looks good from a medical standpoint, from a legal standpoint. Uh, and when we say legal, I don't mean, uh, you know, hey, you have a traffic ticket. That means you are suddenly uh, not eligible to join. Traffic tickets are, are fine. You know, we, we take a look at every situation from a legal perspective and um, based on the severity of it and what it is uh, that you were potentially charged with, um, we have a list that we can go through and determine uh, if we are going to need a waiver for you uh, or if you are fine to process. Um, but that's, that's why with the medical, the legal, uh, anything that we bring up, it's important for the folks that we are trying to recruit uh, to be honest uh, with us because the more honest you are with us, uh, the easier the process will be. And it allows us as your recruiter to be able to advocate for you uh, when it comes time for you to be able to go enlist. And so part of that process is after we figure out everything from a medical, legal, and a physical standpoint, the next thing we're going to do is determine how the National Guard can fit into your life. And I think that's important. Um, a lot of people think when you go to a recruiter's office, it's all about what can you do for the service branch. And while this is a job uh, at the end of the day, um, we also want to make sure it's something that fits into your lifestyle. And I think the fit has to be uh, great for both parties, right? It's a two-way street. 
we are going to ask that you do a job with us or a career field. And then uh, vice versa, we want to make sure that you are utilizing the resources that we offer as a military service branch. And I think that's uh, very important um, that that two-way street happens in each, uh, uh, in each recruit's uh, journey towards becoming a soldier. And so once we determine everything there, uh, the next step is to schedule you for the ASVAB. Uh, that's the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. It's basically our entrance test. And we can do that a couple of ways. Uh, the easiest way for us is to be able to do what we call the PICAT. And that's essentially a practice ASVAB test. And that test can be taken in our office uh, which is really convenient for folks who, who tend to get a little bit of test anxiety. I know I was one of them uh, when I was in college and high school. And the PICAT uh, essentially allows you to take the full ASVAB, uh, so you get a maximum of three hours to take it. Uh, depending on who you are, we see on average about an hour and a half uh, to take that test. And it's the full test. There, there really is no difference. Um, but the biggest difference is it's not in a proctored testing environment. So because of that, you know, we want you to be honest and not use Google, not try to look up answers because that ends up hurting you uh, later on in the process. So once you do that, uh, the next step in the process is assuming you do well, um, we take you over to the military entrance processing station at Fort Jackson, uh, otherwise known as MEPS. And while you're there, you will go ahead and complete what we call a verification test. And all that is, it's about a 20-minute test uh, that you take, and it's bits and pieces of the full test that you took in our office. And all that is doing is showing MEPS uh, in a proctored testing environment that the test that you took at our office is, in fact, accurate, and you weren't trying to use Google or look up things. Um, so assuming everything goes well there, you keep the score that you got in our office. So if you did well and you do well on the verification test, that's your score. Now, where this process works really well is that because the PICAT test is a practice test, unless you verify the test, let's say you don't do so well. That's okay because what that allows us to do is take the results from that test, which we can see as your recruiter immediately, and sit down with you. And we can identify various issues uh, or challenges that you might have faced during the test. Let's say you're not the greatest at math. That allows us to be able to go back and say, hey, listen, weren't the greatest at math, but um, you know, we can identify that and then be able to um, give you some resources or be able to, to point you in the right direction and say like, hey, this is the subject we need to work on, we need to brush up on, get a little bit better on, and then we can come back and uh, do the full ASVAB uh, at MEPS. So that first practice test is great. If you don't do well, you have a chance to identify uh, the places that you need to do better in. And then if you do well, you can verify that score and keep that score. And then from there, <laughs> it is a process. <laughs> from there, um, this second time you'll go to MEPS is when we go for your physical. Um, so the way I describe it, it's like a medical or it's like a, a sports physical on steroids. So everything that you remember from sports, if you played in high school uh, or if you play sports in college, it's just a little bit extra. And what we're trying to do or what MEPS is trying to do is identify uh, any potential medical issues that could arise uh, throughout your career. Or the big one is uh, any medical issues that could uh, either cause your safety to be in question at basic training uh, or the potential safety of those around you that are training. And so part of that process is going over uh, vision, just like you'd get at the DMV. They're trying to make sure you, you can see. Uh, it's going doing blood work, making sure there's no underlying health conditions there. 
Um, there is a process where a doctor will go through and identify uh, any deficiencies uh, or any issues with your skeletal structure, right? Finding out if you have any bumps or bruises or something that could potentially identify uh, a condition that, that we need to be aware of. Um, once all of that's done, the, the last part of this process is you meet with a provider or you meet with a, a medical person over at MEPS and they ask you a couple questions. They're verifying all the medical history that you gave us at the office to determine whether or not that is uh, in fact correct. And then once uh, that is done, the last step is to sit down with a guidance counselor. And that is usually someone who's either from the South Carolina National Guard, uh, a lot of them are former recruiters, uh, or it could be uh, a civilian uh, that's there. And you'll sit down with them and go through everything that we talked about in our office in terms of your commitment to the National Guard. You know, how long are you signing up for? What job are you going to, to go into? Where is that job located? And um, at that point, they'll also look through any potential incentives that you might be receiving. So if you score over a 50, right, 31 is passing for us. If you score over a 50 on the ASVAB, that qualifies you for additional incentives uh, in terms of monetary incentives um, that could put a little bit more money in your pocket. And so those things will be identified at that point. And once everything sounds good, that's when you will then go ahead and uh, they'll set up a time for you to swear in a little later in that day. Um, so it's a rather drawn out process, um, but I think one of the great things about it is um, we're identifying every possible thing that could potentially present an issue uh, for that individual enlisting and then making sure that they are set up for success uh, when it comes to going through not only their basic training, uh, but also their advanced individual training to get into the job that they actually signed up to do. That is a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> I feel like we could just end it there at this point. <laughs> um, so going back to requirements, what is the age requirements right now? So right now, um, it's 17 to 35. Uh, 17 with parental consent. Obviously, 18, you don't need it at that point. Uh, up to 35. But we are currently waiving up to 40. Oh, wow. Now, I would say keep in mind 17 to 35 because that waivable age uh, can fluctuate. It's mm -hmm. not always guaranteed it'll be at 40. It could go above 40. It could go below 40. Um, but the set demographic that we're looking at is 17 to 35. Now, is that based off of like prior service or like new recruits coming in who have never been in the service? Great question. So 17 to 35 is based off of someone who has non-prior service, has never served a day in their life, uh, and is just coming in the door. If you're prior service, the nice part is um, you can come back a little later in life. So let's say you got in at 17 and you got out at 25, we'll say, and you decided when you turned, you know, 36, right? It's a little longer, but you decide when you turn 36, you want to come back in. You're not held to the 17 to 35 age requirements because you're a prior service uh, person coming back in. So the rule with that is if you can retire with 20 years by the time you're 60, then you're fine as a prior service person coming back in. Huh, that's interesting. So then what's the what's the reasoning for the the wave the waiver for the up to 40? So we um, are always looking for great candidates, and I think one of the things uh, the military is great at is when uh, we identify certain periods uh, with, uh, within what's going on right now in the world where um, we need some candidates in varying different positions. Um, you know, 
it's not unheard of to raise that age a little bit more because that does open the pool up for more qualified candidates potentially to come in. And, you know, the older you get, the more experience you're actually bringing to the organization. And as a community-based organization, um, majority of our members are part-time. And because of that, they're bringing those civilian careers and what they offer and the skills they bring from those civilian careers into what they do in the National Guard, whether it's the same job or a different job. Um, so my personal opinion, I think it's because it opens up a pool of more qualified individuals that can come in and bring that experience to us. Hmm, interesting. Now, I know in the past with the ASVAB, there was um, a certain amount of times you could take it. There was a waiting period in between the times you could take it. Is there still requirements on that? Like if you don't get the score you need the first time, like how many times can you take it and how long do you have to wait before you can take it again? So um, there's, there's various waiting periods. Um, typically after the first period, uh, it's give or take around 30 days that you have to wait. Um, so that's why the PICAT is a really important aspect of, of the ASVAB because it offers that, uh, that, that zero stress, if you will, or a low stress uh, environment to be able to take the test, uh, be able to see how you're doing, and be able to identify anything that you need to work on. Um, so, but yes, there are waiting periods, and that's why we like using the PICAT initially. Uh, and then there's also something that we that I, uh, I should have mentioned earlier. It's called the APT. It's a very, very short, very brief little snippet of the full ASVAB. And if you are unsure whether or not you're going to be able to pass the ASVAB, maybe you haven't been in school in a while, your recruiter might use the APT as a quick, just brief little snapshot of how well you might do on the full ASVAB, whether that be the PICAT or taking the full ASVAB at MEPS. Do all recruiters around the state have access to both of those options? They do. Okay. So we were talking about, um, well, the whole thing is about the requirements and how to join and all that kind of stuff. And I know that there's a lot of new processes and programs in place to be able to get from A to Z. So I know that there's some new type of system out there that's kind of helping recruiters get people enlisted. Can you kind of talk about that? So I believe the program you're talking about is Genesis. Um, Genesis is a, uh, the short story of it. It's a result of the military finding a way to be able to, uh, to have a program that is equivalent to the civilian side. So when you go to a civilian provider, most of us are used to having a my chart or something equivalent to that. And it allows us to have our medical records readily available if we need to go pull them without having to call our doctor. Well, the military wanted to replicate that to some extent. And so they created what's called MHS Genesis, the military health system. And Genesis was made as an essential my chart so we could go access our medical records and um, have that in line with what the civilian world is able to access. Well, as an extension of Genesis, the military decided to use that program as a way to screen individuals that are trying to enter the military. And um, Genesis, uh, it is great for identifying potential uh, health issues that could arise in an applicant's journey towards becoming uh, enlisted in the military. Um, but where we uh, have some challenges is that because it brings up those some potential issues that in some cases the applicant might not have remembered, um, that uh, you know, does uh, bring into question, hey, when you're sitting down with your recruiter, like I said earlier, be upfront and honest because, um, you know, when you go to, to sit down at MEPS with the medical staff, 
they're going to know all of your medical history, you know, whether you know it or not. And so that's why if there are certain things that you know about in your past medically, um, you know, that you would like to inform us about, it helps us as recruiters identify uh, any potential waivers or what we call exceptions to policy that will or could potentially allow you to still enlist we just need to go through just a little bit longer of a process. And so we tell folks now, um, you know, it used to be uh, MEPS was, you know, one, two days, depending on what you're trying to do. And that was it, right? Now, in some cases, just because of the world we live in and various uh, health issues that might arise, folks on medication, uh, potentially ADHD medication, there are certain waiting periods for that. And so if we can identify those things up front, it helps us better uh, as recruiters be able to facilitate that process with MEPS and to be able to uh, say, hey, you know, if we know this, that you have this particular condition or you're taking this particular medication, here's what the process could look like for you uh, coming in to try to enlist with us versus doing all the work, doing all the paperwork, doing the testing, and then going to MEPS only to then get turned around and potentially disqualified for something that we might have been able to work with if we would have just identified that issue up front. So, yes, sometimes it can take longer in the process, um, but I think the military's goal was to produce uh, better quality candidates uh, that we um, can identify any potential issues with up front to be able to address them on the back end. Now, so Genesis isn't something recruiters can access. It's something that they access at MEPS. Correct. MEPS okay. identifies that. So essentially they can um, they can pull pharmacy records. Uh, so if they're, as I mentioned, ADHD as an example, uh, if you were on an ADHD medication um, within the last three years, but it can go a little further, they can identify that and say, okay, this individual is on ADHD medication. And then the question would come up, are you still on the medication or have you been taken off the medication? If you've been taken off the medication, there's a, a certain waiting period. Uh, for, for ADHD meds, it's 24 months. Um, and that uh, can be the first baseline of, hey, this is the time frame you're looking at to be able to enlist, assuming you were off the medication 24 months. Um, but then they can identify maybe there is, um, you know, a quicker... Uh, process to be able to get you in, or maybe there's, like I said, a waiver or an exception to policy. Um, so identifying those things up front is just streamlining the approach that MEPS has to be able to get people in. Um, so yeah, it might take a little longer on the front end, but like I said, on the back end, um, it works out a little bit easier. Now with, um, with that, but also too, are there very specific things that disqualifies you right off the bat or that when you are talking to recruits and they're giving you information that you're learning, that you're like, I will, there, like, we, there's nothing we can do about this situation. Are there like specific things? So we, we try not to disqualify folks as recruiters because I'm not a doctor. Um, I don't have MD or DO after my name. Um, but at the same time, yes, there are some, some common sense ones. Um, I'll go back to ADHD since we're using it as, as an example. That is one where if they are currently on medication, I can tell them for a fact from the what we call the Department of Defense instruction, it's all the medical, the accession uh, medical standards, that there is in fact a 24-month waiting period. Um, if they are potentially missing a limb, right, uh, or they have uh, low function, right, those are things that we know up front 
unfortunately will disqualify that individual um, because essentially what they're looking at is are you able to physically get through training, basic training and your advanced individual training. Basic training is the big one because that's the most physically intense, um, most physically intensive process that a new recruit has to go through. And so um, if we can identify those things up front, then obviously that makes it a little bit easier for MEPS instead of them having to do it. But in, in terms of certain things, maybe let's say behavioral health, whether there was um, someone was on anxiety medication, those are the things that we will do everything in our power to be able to present an honest case to MEPS of, hey, this is what the person's on. They've been upfront and honest with us. This is potentially why they were on this anxiety medication. And then as the medical providers at MEPS, they are the ones that ultimately determine whether or not that individual can enlist or whether um, they might need a waiver um, to be able to, to enlist. So it, it honestly just depends on that particular uh, medical instance or condition or whatever it may be. So we, we do our best not to disqualify people up front. But, you know, like you said, there are certain things that we know front, hey, it's going to be either a waiting period or that's, that's not going to fly, unfortunately. Now, I want to go back to the age thing before I forget. You can enlist at 17 with parental consent. Correct. What is some advice? What are what is the path to navigate with seventeen year olds who are wanting to enlist? The biggest thing with seventeen, eighteen, and and honestly, I would say anyone in high school, is that you want to include the parents as recruiters. Um, having parents involved in the process or guardians, whoever it may be, is incredibly important for that individual looking to enlist. And it's because it's not that they're the ones enlisting. It's that the parents and the guardians, that's their support system. That's the potential uh, enlistee's support system. And because that's their support system, we want them to be as involved with the process uh, as they can be. Because at the end of the day, when they go home, they're going home to their family. Uh, And, um, you know, if they have a rough day or if they have a great day, that's the people they're going to go home and tell. Um, So we bring them into the office as well, uh, especially the high schoolers. And, um, and we make sure that they understand from a family perspective what their son or daughter uh, is going to go through, um, through basic training and their advanced individual training, and then into their career. So we show them the, the roadmap. We actually have a, a, um, I have a, a document that I, I give to parents, and it actually has a roadmap on it. So you can see from the start to the finish, this is what you're looking at uh, for the process. And then we want to make sure they're as involved with basic training, uh, potential graduation, all that good stuff, because we want them to know that this is a family. Their son or daughter is joining the South Carolina Army National Guard as a family member, Uh, even though they're not necessarily the ones serving um, because they are that support group. um, In some ways, they are serving as well, because if they if their son or daughter has to go somewhere on on one of our missions, whether stateside or overseas, um, you know, that's the people who are sending them the care packages. That's the folks who are sending them the letters to keep their morale up. Um, so it's important, especially with high schoolers, that we involve family as much as possible. So another thing that um, I kind of want to dive into is RSP. So can you explain what that program is and how um, that benefits those who are coming in? RSP is the Recruit Sustainment Program. It is a, I can't say enough about it. It's a fantastic program that is specific to the National Guard. And um, essentially it's designed as a way to introduce that recently enlisted individual 
uh, into military life. You know, coming from the civilian side, you might not be used to military time. Um, you might not be used to hearing the phonetic alphabet or hearing, the, you know, hearing that A is alpha or B is bravo. Um, you might not be used to saluting individuals. Um, you know, if you were in junior ROTC in high school, that might be something that you might have the general hang of. Um, but depending on what service branch that junior ROTC was, you might not exactly know the Army way to do things. So the Recruit Statement Program, uh, like I said, National Guard-only program, where when you enlist, unlike our other service branches, our other components, whether it be the Army Reserve or the Active Army, who have what they call the Future Soldier Program, Recruit Sustainment Program, the moment you enlist, you are in the South Carolina Army National Guard. And because of that, that means you can start getting paid and um, you can start earning time uh, off of your commitment to us towards a retirement if you choose to stay for 20 years. Um, so it's a fantastic way to be able to take uh, uh, high schoolers, especially, especially those who enlist in their junior year at 17, uh, and be able to start paying them one weekend a month to come in what we call drill with us or uh, come to one of our units that we have. And your recruiters and some of our, our uh, recruiting colleagues are the ones who are actually the staff for those, uh, those drill periods. And so they come in and we go from being your recruiter to being your trainer and giving you some of the basic knowledge that you're going to need to succeed at basic training. So like I said, phonetic alphabet, military time, who to salute, when to salute, a lot of things that, um, you know, will set you apart from your active and reserve counterparts when you go to basic training, because we all go together as one big army family. Um, but this program is a great way to be able to get that, that next step up um, uh, in terms of the knowledge that you're going to need uh, to succeed. And one of the cool things about the program is that um, because you are around your peers, right, if there's something, let's say you're struggling on, that's a support network right there. And that's the biggest thing about the Guard, I think, that uh, I convey to a lot of folks is that you have a huge support network around you. You know, there's, there's roughly 10,000 soldiers here in the state, and about 7,000 of those are part-time. And because of that, there are people all over the state that if you're having problems with something, even if it's not in RSP, even if it's when you get into your unit later down the line, um, you have a support network right around the corner, no matter where you turn. So it, it truly is a large family environment. But RSP is a great way to set you, give you those steps and those foundational steps uh, to be able to succeed in your follow-on training. Now, um, everybody sees the commercial citizen soldier, all the fancy stuff going on and everything. Can you kind of explain the different mission sets that we have and how that is separate from like the reserves and active duty? Right. So with any military branch, we, we have our, our, I call it sibling rivalry. We, we rib each other during football games, especially army Navy. Um, but at the end of the day, the way I describe it is on our uniforms, it's not just U.S. Army or U.S. Navy, it's U.S., and it's, we're all supporting the United States in, in some way. And so, like you said, we all have different missions and skill sets, and one of the very unique uh, skill sets that, or missions that the National Guard has is that we are a dual-missioned organization. So primarily, we support our state in their time of need. That's why we're the South Carolina Army National Guard. I came from Ohio. There's the Ohio Army National Guard. Every state and the territories have a National Guard, and we all support the state or territory that we live in um, when natural disasters hit our state, uh, potentially uh, when there's riots or uh, floods or, you know, you name it, up in Ohio, it's blizzards. So we all go out there 
as an organization with the assets that we have, the equipment that we have, whether it be our our uh, light, medium tactical vehicles, or you'll otherwise hear them known as uh, high water trucks that allow us to be able to run in floodwaters to be able to help folks out of their homes. So it's one of the reasons I joined the National Guard out of all the other branches and components because of that state mission. Now, on the flip side, we are part of the U.S. Army. We're a reserve component. Um, where we differ from the Army Reserve, who is similar in terms of their one week in the month setup and two weeks in the summer, is that because we are state and federally funded, um, we primarily focus on the state. We still get to do all the, the unique missions that the Army does. Um, but you know when you join the South Carolina Army National Guard that your unit will be here in South Carolina versus in Georgia or in Tennessee because the reserves, your unit might not necessarily be in the state that you live in. Um, on the flip side with education, it's a really big differentiator uh, when it comes to the reserves versus the National Guard in terms of the education side. So the reserves get the $4,000 of federal tuition assistance that every other branch gets. Where we differ from them is we get that $4,000 uh, per academic year, which can be used for any uh, university or college, uh, public university or college across the country, uh, or it can be used for trade schools or certification programs. Um, but we also get state funding because we have a state role. So currently, uh, we are at $5,500 per academic year to be able to go through a state school. So that could be your USC's, that could be um, your Lander Universities, you name it. Um, so $9,500 total that you're getting to go to school with us per year. So depending on how you use your money, what we will tell people is that you could end up making money in some cases, and essentially getting paid to go to school, in addition to all the other benefits that um, we offer. So, so with all of that being said, and I'm, we talked about a lot of different things, we could go on and on, we could do a second part to this. Is there anything else that you would like to add, advice that you would like to give anybody that's watching or listening who potentially might want to enlist um, before we close out? I would say if you've ever had a, a thought in your mind that serving your country in the military, serving your state and your country in the military would be a good option for you, talk to a recruiter. Um, we get a lot of folks that do not want to reach out to a recruiter because for whatever reason, um, they're, they're scared, they're nervous, whatever it may be. We're folks just like you. We're people just like you. Uh, when we get up in the morning, we put our pants on the same way you do, right? Um, we just happen to wear camouflage to work instead of a suit or, or a polo shirt or whatever it may be. Um, so get the knowledge that you need to be able to make an educated decision. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing I can say. Don't turn down what could be the greatest opportunity of your life just because of fear or nervousness or whatever it may be. Go investigate, go get yourself educated, gain that knowledge that you need to be able to make that informed decision. If the military is for you, okay. Now you have the education and the knowledge that you need to be able to make that decision. If it ends up that this isn't for you, which I think a majority of the time it will be, um, then that's okay. But at least you've researched, at least you've made the attempt um, to see if this is an opportunity that's right for you. What I tell folks at the end of the day is that this whole process, this whole organization, we want to be able to fit into what you're doing in your life. As I said, a majority of us are part-time. Um, because of that, we have regular lives outside of here. Um, we have full-time jobs. Um, so we want to be able to fit into what you're doing 
give you some additional skills, give you some additional resources that can help you out, um, not only in your civilian life, not only in your military life, but just in general, right? A lot of our jobs, regardless of what they are, you're going to get these intangible skills, these things that um, are going to be able to translate to the civilian world, leadership skills, discipline, time management. I don't know an employer out there that wouldn't like a candidate that has the, have those kind of skills. And so take what we have to offer, make yourself a better individual, a more capable individual, a more marketable individual, and go out and do great things in the world. And that's really what this organization is here to do. Give you those resources, have you be able to be an asset to help your state and community in our time of need and our country, and to be able to do good things for your life and your family's life moving forward. Well said. I couldn't have said it any better than that. (laughs) Um, But for those of you who are watching or listening, we will put all of his information in the show notes for you guys. Definitely check out. um, So public affairs, the South Carolina National Guard has our social media pages, but then the um, recruiting side has their pages that are separate. So we'll put that in there as well. That way that if anybody has any questions, they can click and go see what they're doing and posting and get more information um, and find the recruiter that's closest to them. So, yeah, Um, if I may, nationalguard.com. If you scroll down to the bottom, there's a find a recruiter tab. You click on that, input your zip code, and it'll pull up the recruiter for your area so you can reach out to them. Awesome. Make That makes it super easy yeah. versus having to go call all the armories or yep. find somebody off the street. Nope. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy day to come talk to us. Um, I'm sure we'll have you come back at some point and kind of talk about a little bit uh, or other things that are going on and some th- other programs and all that fun stuff. Maybe have another recruiter come with you, get their experience and stuff. That'd Maybe even a recruit. That would yeah. be kind of cool to talk to them, see their experience. Cause I mean, for us old timers who have been in for so long, we forget how it started yeah. <laughs> sometimes. But um, again, thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. But if you guys like this video, make sure you give it a big thumbs up. If you haven't subscribed to our channel, make sure you hit the subscribe button and we will catch you guys in the next episode.